Hey guys, it's Mom Taraj, the podcast about being a mom that thinks that most mom stuff is super boring. So we created our own posse. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. And we are ready to walk you down the red carpet of motherhood. Hey friends. Hi guys. We have got a great show for you today. We are talking to Liz Tennity of Motherly. As always, we have our hashtag swag bag. And up next, take it away, kiddo. Cake and shit. All right. The tits and the shits. My shits are, of course, my son got sick the first week of school. Ugh. Of course. So on top of being incredibly jet lagged, now I have a cold because first my kid sneezed right in my face. Right. And then the other day he goes, Mama, give me a kiss. So I give him a kiss on the mouth, which was dumb to begin with. And he pushes a candy from his mouth into my mouth. And I'm like, oh. I could feel the germs just heading into my mouth. Kids are so disgusting sometimes. Some of the stuff that Luna does to me, I like want to retch. And I know I'm supposed yes. to be like, oh, she's my kid. She came from my body, no. everything. I'm just like, really? She started gleeking. You know when every kid at a certain age starts letting their spit hang? That's what it's called? Gleeking? Yeah. Ew. Sebastian does things like pick a booger, not a hard booger, one of those globby boogers, and will rub it on me. Ugh. It's just revolting, disgusting, horrible. So those are my my shits. My tits are, even though I was just out of town, I'm going out of town again. Ashley's making up for all that lost two years of travel time. You know what? If there is something to learn from the pandemic, and I think focusing on this is helping my anxiety a little mm-hmm. bit, life is precious. We have no idea what's going to happen. So take your opportunities. You know, in Hawaii, my mom and I talked a lot about how she was so happy we've traveled so much in our lives because who knows what's going to happen? Truly, who knows? So Matt is doing this conference type thing in Nashville and tomorrow is my birthday and Friday is his birthday so he was like why don't you come and we'll have a few days together so I'm gonna be living like a kept woman which I am very excited about super into I am super into pretending to be a kept woman that's how I thought when I first moved into the apartment in Williamsburg with Lee because I couldn't work anymore because I was so pregnant and I lived in this fancy place I was like I feel like pretty woman and I'm okay with it Yes, I'm totally okay with it. I'm going to bring my laptop so I can still do work and go to a coffee shop. I have a massage book. I am going to go old school Ashley and plan out outfits for every single scenario and pack like that. Matt and I used to do at least once a year, it was usually twice a year, pre-Sebastian, pre-pandemic days. We would go to either Atlantic City or Las Vegas, whatever was closest to where we were living. Virgo alert, I would have spreadsheets for outfits and pick pictures to go along with them. Oh my gosh. I've never done that. It makes your packing a lot easier. It's a wonderful method. You're reclaiming yourself, Ashley. I'm so excited to have private time. We're going to be in Nashville. We're going to be able to do some drinking and dancing. We have reservations every night. Better use condoms or get on some birth control right now or else you're going to have a baby. Because we have sex three times instead of one every month. Yes. Mary Maria is going to be like, I was born in Nashville. (laughs) We'll name her Nashville that's where she was conceived. Nash is a cute name for a girl, actually. It is a cute name. So anyway, those are my tits and my shits. I'll report back next week how Nashville went. Hopefully, it's great. Awesome. How about you, friend? I'll start with my shits as well. First of all, somehow, two separate robes of mine have gone missing. Who are you, Matt? I don't pack them. I first noticed my main robe, which was on my chair. I came home and it wasn't on my chair anymore. Now, the cleaning people did come, so I thought, oh, maybe they put it in the hamper if it fell in the bathroom on the floor. I did all my laundry. It's not in any hamper. 
course, it's my thin summer robe. Then I was like, oh, I have that other waffle knit robe that's hung up. Let me use that since I can't seem to find this one. Also gone. Now, I've never taken either of these robes out of the house ever. It's not like the robe I take on vacation. Both of them are gone. I was like, this seems like a Luna thing. Scoured her room and two water bottles are missing. It's so weird. One hasn't left the house either. The other one I take out, so maybe I left it somewhere. But I'm like, is there a house elf like in Harry Potter that's stealing my stuff? It's very strange. The second thing is I am now at the age where I Theragun so much at night that the next morning I have bruises on my body. I'm at that stage of decrepit. I was like, is that a good thing? No, it's not. That's why it's a shit. Oh. My tits are twofold. One, I love teaching. I substitute taught last week. I loved it. I was a substitute science teacher for a high school. And then while I was there, they're like, can you do history? We're doing India. I was like, yeah, been there, done it. (laughs) Actually can speak Sanskrit. The one other head of the history department watched me teach the class. He's like, wow, you know a lot about India. I was like, I do. He's like, you should teach this class all the time. I was like, thank you. Pay me. Pay me now. The other thing is, I'm going to get a little woo-woo on everybody if that's okay. Uh So I've always been told throughout my life by people with the touch that I have some psychic ability. And I also feel like I have some psychic ability because I've had some weird premonitions and sometimes I feel like I'm vortexing like you and Matt talk about where all of a sudden everything's just going right. You're vibrating at a higher frequency. Lately, I felt so creative. The way that I describe it is everybody has an antenna, but Mm -hmm. some people's antenna is super dirty and bent so they can't catch a lot of stuff. But if your antenna is tuned, then you can catch all the things. You can catch the good luck, the inspiration, the ideas, whatever. So I've been exercising and meditating every single day. It's been a part of my recent glow up Luna's in school situation. And I seriously feel centered and wise like a Buddha. Things are not bothering me. I'm like, whatever. There are two books that I think everyone should read that talk about this concept. One being big magic. The other being you are a badass. To Catch a Big Fish is also another one. That's a David Lynch one. I should read that. It's like a toilet book. It's very quick. I wasn't a huge woo-woo person. And You Are a Badass was the first book that really explained it to me in a way that I could understand, which is just we're all energy. Everything around us is energy. We vibrate at a certain frequency. When you vibrate at a higher frequency, which is when you do things like take care of yourselves, when you're not sweating the small stuff, when you're connected to the things around you, you just attract more and better because you're at a higher frequency. And that's what I think vortexing is and all of that. So anyone who's interested in this should definitely read those books because hook, line, and sinker, I believe that you take that time for yourself, you connect with yourself, you're doing so much better in life. I'm doing the nature thing, I'm tending to all my plants, and I'm getting quiet. I just really feel like I have some wisdom and creativity that's just flowing through me. I've been sitting down and creating interesting things artistically, and I just feel really in the flow, which is such a good feeling to just feel like everything's in the flow and you don't have to work so hard at stuff. Especially after a summer of watching your kid and not feeling like you're in the flow of things. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm still struggling on things, but there's just something's happened right now. And I just feel a switch. It's like I'm in a wisdom phase. I'm really digging it. Oh, man, I hope that next or this week gets me on that level, too. Like, you feel just better. It's like magical, but it's not. It's not magic because you're like, oh, this is what you need to do. And you don't really have to work at it. That's the weirdest thing. When you're in a funk, you feel like, oh, I have 
have to work at being happy. Brushing your teeth is a chore. I mean, some of it, of course, is Luna's been in a good flow. So obviously that helps things. But anyway, I'm just digging this. I'm like, all right, how long can I ride this? Well, I'm happy to hear it. We do best when we're both vibrating at a high frequency business-wise. So I got to get there for you. Speaking of vibing, my daughter walked into preschool today. Right in when I signed her in, she said in front of all the parents and the teachers, I tried mushrooms this weekend. <laughs> and I had to be like, oh, uh, 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 baby Bellas. I sautéed some baby Bellas. Uh, tried to get her to expand her palate. We had this new rule that she can't say she doesn't like something until she tries it. Those kind of mushrooms. And then my friend, who I know from Brooklyn, who our kids go to school together, he was like, yo, Luna, hope you drank a lot of water. That's so funny. All right, guys, up next, Liz from Motherly. Today, we're joined by an award-winning journalist and editor, a former Washington Post editor, mother of four, soon to be five. Four and a half, yes. Oh my goodness. It's hard to keep track of because... Because you keep procreating? Yeah, I keep procreating, but hopefully this is the end of my procreation journey. Congratulations. Yes, co-founder of Motherly and host of the Motherly podcast. Welcome, Liz Tennedy. Hi, Liz. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming and having us on your show show. We've been really excited to talk to you because you have built such an incredible motherhood community and empire. And I'm just dying to know what really, other than the obvious answer of I became a mom, what inspired you to really start this community, build it? How did it happen? So yes, I became a mom. My husband was actually in the military when we were first married. We lived apart for three years while we were married. And then as soon as we moved in together, we had a baby. So he decided to get out of the military. He went to business school in California. I had spent 10 years working, growing my career at the Post, as you mentioned, and then also having two little kids. So we were living in Silicon Valley. I was working remotely for the Post for a year, but I caught the bug of entrepreneurship. Journalism was really struggling 10 years ago. But yet, at the same time, I saw content and information everywhere in this digital ecosystem. I was looking at a platform around how to teach or inspire people to do different kinds of things. I had two under two and I put them down for bed one night. I was in the kitchen doing the dishes and I got a light bulb. I was like, wait, it's motherhood. It's what I'm living. And this was seven, eight years ago. This space was so outdated. It was not reflective of a new generation's approach to motherhood. If you wanted to buy a car, if you wanted to plan a wedding, there were all these platforms to help these life events. The thing that was the most transformative life event that changed every part of my existence financially, in my relationships, in my career, my body, everything, there wasn't a place to guide me and support me through, obviously, what was not only transformational, but for me, shockingly transformational. I thought motherhood would be hard. I had no idea it would change everything. I emailed two people, two women I knew not terribly well, but like through my networks. And I said, here's this idea I have for a new motherhood platform. Can we chat? Someone in my network responded right away. And she's like, let's chat. Turned out that was Jill Koziel, who is my co-founder at Motherly. And we had this breathless conversation, just feeding off of each other's energy. She had been an entrepreneur and in strategy consulting. She actually invented a baby product. So I was kind of telling her about this idea just to get feedback. And by the end of the call, she's like, not only do I love this idea, I really want to do it with you. I think it was on a Thursday or a Friday, we had the call. And by Monday, she had a business plan and a deck. Ashley and I did not go to colleges that taught us how to do any of this stuff. I didn't learn how to do that. I had an idea. I wasn't committed. I was like, I just have an idea. She's like, let's roll this out. We're doing it. So it's kind of like off to the races. We launched six weeks after that. 
And I mean, we got lucky in some ways because we got our timing right. Timing in business is a lot of things. And a lot of other brands have come along for this journey of being more about the family, the mother, and not just about the baby. I like to think that we played a role in really transforming this space and recentering it on the parents, but especially the mother and all that she goes through through this transition to motherhood. In thinking about this interview and doing an interview for your podcast as well, Ashley and I talked about it when we were trying to start our podcast. The research we did, you were really the innovator of this kind of space. Yep. Thank you. It was like, yes, we're getting to do motherly. Yes. What an honor. But daunting because part of what has shaped us as a podcast is how we want to be like you and the aspects that make us different from you in all the best ways. It really is an honor to speak to you and kind of reflecting for a moment on what we said on your show. It is a unifying experience. Here it was, Ashley and I thinking about this interview and being like, oh God, I think we're all so different. And really in reality, it was the easiest conversation ever because the biggest unifying thing of all above anything else is this laser cut through thing that is we all went through this extremely crazy thing called motherhood. Some of us more than others. Well, speaking of which, that was going to segue into my next question. You currently outside of your body have four children? I have four children. Okay. Where are they? Ages? Give us a breakdown. Sure. So my oldest is 10. It's a boy. Then 18 months later, we had another boy. Then we had a girl. So 10, 8, 6. And then I have another son who's three. And I am announcing for the very first time that I am pregnant with another boy. Ah. So I somehow will have four sons and a daughter. Not only am I still processing it, I don't have time to think about it. It's not that I forget that I'm pregnant. I'm just about four months. It's that it's like, where's his shoes for basketball? Where's Henry's shoes for basketball practice? Ah, I forgot to get the lunch tickets. It's so different to ask the fifth child to your family then. For me to add my first, I'm such a different person. And I hope good ways now than the person I was 10 years ago. I really do believe, and this isn't true for everyone, but I think it's true for me right now, that motherhood has released me from many of my neuroses and habits that I didn't even know I had. In a lot of ways, I've been describing my family now as an ecosystem, which is what it feels like. And we have people who help us, the nannies and people who come into our house and help us fix stuff. I mean, I need this team of people, but I also realize that I've developed new muscles and I'm more comfortable as a mother now than I ever was. And so I'm a different kind of mother and a more confident mother, even and maybe because of how much goes on in my life as a mom of four plus and an entrepreneur, also a human on top of it as well. I have to ask this question. I don't know if you've seen it. In Seth Meyers' stand-up special Lobby Baby, yeah, he talks about how one kid is hard, two kids are hard, but once you go into three, there's no difference in the level of hardship. I feel like it's lies told to populate the planet. So I want to know from you, soon to have a fifth child, do you feel that that's true? I will say, the more children I have, the more I understand people who don't have children or (laughs) maybe just have one child and know that this is enough. Thank you for seeing us. Yeah. For sure. So much of this is actually driven by the fact that I have a really sexy husband who I'm madly in love with for almost 20 years. And it wasn't that I grew up thinking, I want to have a large family. It was just life is such a great adventure with my husband and this is part of our adventure. But to answer your question specifically, I don't think there's a neat answer to that. Maybe you have a kid with special needs and one child feels 
feels like a lot of children. But also, I have children who are getting a lot older. And I know that that can sound scary, but I have an eight-year-old who is so in love with his little brother. He kind of does the whole bedtime routine for his little three-year-old brother every night. Oh my gosh. They do a brother bath. That's what it's called. I love that. He puts a diaper on him. Ashley, are your ovaries hurting right now? That just was the sweetest explanation. At this age, there is this letting go. And also, I want it more now. I want them to be more independent. I need help from the older children. And I don't mean parentifying, adultifying the kids, but we're a team. I can't do it all on my own. I need you guys to step in here. And I don't think that's a bad thing for them. You would not come to my house and be like, wow, many hands make light work. Look at how that family functions so well. You would not think that. But in some small ways, I'm starting to see how that is what this family ecosystem is becoming. It's sort of this system that is moving and I don't have as much direct control over any one child because there's so much happening, but there's madness and there's magic in a larger family. I think the more kids that I have, the more humble I am about what anyone else's journey looks like because I'm just trying to survive mine right now. What has been your biggest parenting challenge thus far? And as a fellow millennial mom, what do you believe is our biggest challenge that other generations of mothers haven't faced? I feel like TikTok has really brought to light this whole boomers versus Gen X versus millennial. Carrie is Gen X. I'm a millennial. We don't have these issues. But I am curious as somebody who I would consider to be a motherhood expert, what you think about that? Healing while mothering is very hard. Becoming conscious of the patterns that you were raised with, whether from your own family of origin or from the culture around us. Then if you have a partner, their whole thing, and then how that thing clashes together. I wish we all didn't have this much to heal from while parenting. I wish mothers were raising children in an ecosystem of structural support on every level, that they had family and friends nearby, that they had support from their employers, that they had paid maternity leave, that we had affordable childcare, that we had maternal health initiatives. Health insurance. Just health insurance. Just that. Yeah, right. Coming to an uncomfortable awareness of how unjust on so many levels the playing field is for moms, for families, but certainly a burden that's borne largely by mothers. And then trying to be so-called conscious parent. I mean, conscious parenting, that's a lot of work. I'm quoting other people here, but like 94% of our thoughts and behaviors are unconscious. And there's a scientific biological reason that we do these patterns without thinking. The work of trying to identify, why is this triggering me? What is this bringing up? I wish we all didn't have to do so much of that work. I'm glad we're doing it. But also when we do yell, I don't think I yelled this morning, but there was a lot of yelling yesterday. When we do yell, just recognizing how much we're asking of ourselves in this generation with so little support. It's an uncomfortable reality to sit in, but that's where we are. And I think in a generation, it'll be a little bit different. Hopefully, a lot better. Just in our two generations, admitting that you're not okay, admitting that you're seeking help. My generation is really the first generation of people who are having kids who have started to do work on themselves prior to having kids and being really open about it. And then your guys' generation is the next level. I think it will get a little bit easier in that way. And having partners who actually care if you're doing it on your own, that's a whole other thing. But in the nuclear family of present day, having a 
partner who sees how much of a workload is happening and also takes on that responsibility. We don't live in the times where the men go off to have drinks after work. They come home and they want to be with their families, hopefully, ideally. Just acknowledging that we are a generation of change and in between and how difficult and how much labor that is. I mean, we can try to heal individually, of course, but we also need to tend to and care for one another in this. And it's a lot of work. Although we are motherly followers, we sort of have a slightly different approach to and what seems like views on motherhood. And we are trying to build the momtourage community ourselves as a place similar to what you were saying, where you can get really honest about motherhood. Sometimes Ashley and I are a little bit more on the down and dirty side of that. But we both discuss some of the hardships, the failures into wins, one might say. How do you find so much beauty in the process and the journey of motherhood? You bring a kind of race to motherhood that Ashley and I have not yet been able to find. And may never. One of the reasons we wanted to start Motherly was because the dominant conversation about motherhood, 8, 10, 15 years ago, was like, it's terrible. It's awful. It's ruining my life. I think especially a decade ago, media was fueling the mommy wars to drive page views. Running headlines of like, I'm a stay-at-home mom and if you're not with your kids, you're a horrible person. Or I'm a working mom and I can't believe all these women wasted their educations. And that's the kind of content that publishers were using to talk about motherhood. Well, it was also driven by a man, most likely. For their own profit. Right. One of the insights we had with Motherly was we wanted to make motherhood feel a little bit lighter. We also wanted to partner with a lot of experts because I was a journalist and I'm actually not an expert on anything, maybe on media and journalism, but not on anything in parenting or medicine or psychology. We wanted to bring experts to the fore. And even when we cover difficult things from the beginning, we always needed to add some kind of empowering note, something that either gives her expert information that she knows what to do with or has a note of hopefulness. I might be down today, but I need to know I'm not going to be down every day for the rest of my life in motherhood. And so that was a deliberate decision. I hope that we're not sugarcoating motherhood. I know we were trying to, we have been occupying a space that gives people hope and advocates for them along the way. Do you have a super quote unquote controversial opinion on motherhood that you think most moms don't share or at least won't admit to? And to ease you so you don't feel like we're just trying to get you to say something controversial, we will go first. Okay. And mine is, I think it's okay to curse in front of your children. The lesson is not, hey, don't talk like this. The lesson is you Use it in the appropriate way. Know what the appropriate place is. And that's where my lesson is to teach my child. Ashley and I are on the same page. Our husbands are not. No. So much so, I had a talk with my child about literally yesterday. With me, you can say things. As long as you're not being disrespectful to me, if it helps you get your point across, you're welcome to say a grown-up word. However, it is appropriate to only do that when you're with mommy and only mommy. When daddy's around, daddy doesn't like it. That's a part of life. Right. Daddy doesn't like it. He's not going to respond the same way. So it's probably not appropriate to use those words around daddy. But mommy's a safe place for that. I feel like I'm going to phrase this wrong just right out of the gate. So I'm just going to put that out there. I, for the most part, treat my child like a small adult. And I 
don't dumb down too many things. And I speak about pretty hard things with my kid. And when she asks a question, I give her an appropriate but very honest answer. And this is a work in progress because I've seen how that is a positive thing. And I've also seen how that could be a negative thing. I think that I need to modify a little bit on certain things, having done it and seen what the fallout is a little bit. But I treat my child like an adult, which is kind of controversial for a three-year-old. I do both things that you already said. I have my own controversial opinion. We love Lizzo. Love Lizzo. And there's so much cursing. And you know what? We're cursing. We're singing curses. I also probably do treat my kids more like adults than most people do out of somewhat necessity. I hope it's not an inappropriate level of adultification. I think that kids are capable of more than we realize. I've seen the Japanese TV show. That I can't do, but I have watched the show. I think in the United States where we live, some of those things are culturally difficult. That's absolutely true. I don't trust other people to not hit my kid with a car, in all honesty. I'm more worried about the wackadoos than my kid. I have, however, read a lot of studies about how that is good to give your kids responsibility because it teaches them self-confidence. And so I have given my child more tasks and just letting her do it in a controlled environment. So have I. It's very uncomfortable, especially when it involves safety. But I am right now pushing myself. I'm an eight and 10 year old to step back and feel more uncomfortable so that they can do things that worry me, but I know that they're capable of doing. So it's hard. And I don't know. I think for me, it's going to get a lot harder to do that. But I know it's really important before it gets easier. So my controversial opinion on motherhood is one that I've become even more convicted of lately. And that is that I think mothers matter more than their kids. Yes. I think in our own lives, in our own families, our needs need to be the number one thing in our families. Our doctor's appointments need to go on the calendar first. Our play dates, our date nights, our naps, because the entire momentum of our culture is to make mothers invisible, sacrificial martyrs to men, to their kids, to their kids' schools. And I'm not doing that anymore. And so I think we have to take our power back and frankly, be treated more equally by the world by saying moms are more important. Why? Because no one else is taking care of us. So we have to say this really matters. In fact, I'm going away this weekend for four days without my kids to be alone and to decompress from a stressful summer. With or without your husband? I'm going alone. Wow, good for you. You had me tearing up, which doesn't happen. I'm kind of a cold bitch these days. Lies. Because I just had a discussion with my therapist about how my new motto is, what is it that will make me happy? That's what I'm doing. If it includes not being on the phone, explaining myself and just being like, that's the way it is. I'm going to hang up the phone now. Whatever it is, just to be like, nope. Even Ash and I were like, we're not going to start interviews till this time so we can work and work out and feel better about ourselves. Just little things that I'm like, I used to just do it just because I felt like I needed to do it or my responsibility as a lover, a partner, a mom, a woman, whatever. And I'm just like, no, it's not suiting me. So I'm not doing And even a step further than that, this is something I've been quietly contemplating for the past month or two. My husband is very much a partner in a lot of ways and will take on things and not necessarily communicate that maybe it's too much for him. And so on a Sunday, if I want to take a bath, he makes it all nice for me so that I have this time. But what has started to happen is I'm starting to, and I have not expressed this to him because I don't know if I should, I'm starting to feel guilty about 
about certain things. He works in the office two days a week. He came home at seven o'clock last night. I had done everything with my kids since he came out of school. I took him to his dance class. I was taking care of him. I made sure we were having real conversations. I was checking in on how he was. All these different things. And when he came home, I was like, okay, great. Can you go give him a bath? I think there needs to be more of that. When we do things to take care of ourselves, we should not feel guilty. But we do. I actually started talking to the guilt because I don't feel it anymore because I believe that much. Now I'm so convicted that my well-being is more important because I was not raised by people who believed, especially my mother and the mothers around me of that generation. They always were told to put themselves last, which meant they were never on the list. That was never happening. I felt guilty for the first few years every time I took a shower. And this is just infuriating to me. But when I took a shower, it felt like, why are you not with your kid? Maybe that's cultural. Maybe it's neurological in the mom brain. There is some weird shit that happens. But I just started talking to it and saying like, is this the patriarchy talking? Like who is talking to me here? Because I am a person too. So I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to go away from my kids. I'm going to not do that event that I'm not excited about. Tiffany Dufu, who wrote the book, Drop the Ball, really helped inspire me maybe four years ago. She's been on the Motherly Podcast. She made a rule. We don't go to kid birthday parties because I'm not spending every weekend of my life going to a kid's birthday party. Well, if that isn't against the law in American parenting culture, I don't know what is. Esther Perel, who I had on the podcast, told me that her sons are grown now. She didn't like going to their sports games all weekend long. She just told them like, I love you. You can play sports, but I'm not going. I'm going to do things that fill me up and bring me pleasure and joy. Although her sons didn't understand it at the time, they now, as adults, they get it. And so I am trying to embody uncomfortable things that I didn't see embodied. My vision for this, my point of saying, moms matter more is that when my kids are parents and my daughter is a mother one day, if she becomes a mother one day, there isn't so much conflict and guilt when she takes a shower or takes a break because she's seen it embodied and it's not in conflict for her. One thing my therapist has taught me, hashtag Fran, we talk about Fran all the time. One of the things that she gave me as a person who's kind of an overachiever who really tries to just bang things out of the park and expects a lot for myself was to on purpose do things poorly. Men do it all the time. Low leverage things to practice how it feels, the ickiness and uncomfortable feeling for me to sit in not doing my best in things on purpose. And then it would feel so good. It would supersede eventually the feeling of it feeling awkward and uncomfortable for me. And now I really like doing certain things mediocre. And you know what? My mediocre is everybody else's kind of amazing. In a lot of cases, not always. Do we really believe men don't know how to properly fold clothing or put it in a hamper or wash a dish? 100% they know. They choose not to know. And I only learned this because I see Sebastian at five years old do it. I'll say, go find this, that, and the other. And he doesn't actively look for it because then I have to go look for it. It's partially genetic. I mean, not genetic. Cultural? Generational? No, man, woman. Like hunter-gatherer in our original being. I think that, pardon me, we're getting all like, hmm. Men, women. Love it. I think that not only has society done this, but I think part of the hunter-gatherer thing is that men have had to, for a longer time, have an achievement level of certain things on their plate. And anything that doesn't fit into there, they just push aside completely. That's not a me-need-to-know kind of thing. And so they've become, quote-unquote, good at that, which might include, I don't know where the spatula is in my own house, because that's not a me issue of something that's going to hunter me into my family. With gatherers as women, we've 
forever had to be really intuitive and visually be on top of things. Our focus is on a lot of things at once. That's what a gatherer is. And as a mother, focus is on a lot of things at once. And so we kind of make everything our thing. And so we can take a page from the men book and just say, that's not a me thing. So I'm not going to worry my mind about it, or I'm only going to worry my mind to a certain extent. I'm not going to have to be so good at that part. That is something that is so freeing to me that I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to be the woman that just buys a gift card. I'm not going to worry my head off. When my therapist said that, it was so scary at first. And now I'm just like, oh, I love being bad at things. Low leverage suck is really good. So we ask so many of our moms on the show this. What is the number one thing you think every parent should, if they have the means, outsource? So many answers because when we first became parents, I was working full-time, but I couldn't afford full-time childcare. I've gone from that to like, I will pay for any help that can help me in any possible way for anything. But I will say, I think we should outsource the psychological well-being of our family. And I mean, specifically, multiple members of my family go to multiple forms of therapy. I'm proud and happy that we've been able to destigmatize that for our nuclear family. And I talk about it, obviously, in public and on my show. Getting help. Let's get help with stuff that's hard. Let's also just normalize asking for help and it being 100% okay and no judgment. My great-grandfather had a nervous breakdown. I have other grandfathers with alcoholism and depression on the other side. I mean, the full gamut. I just want my kids to know and I want all listeners to know we all need help. I've learned through motherhood that I actually can go further do more, grow faster, feel better when there's help teams all around me. I've learned that in my business, right? We started as, well, two co-founders and now we have a team of 40 to 45. That just gave me like a little orgasm, the hopes that maybe I could have more help. Here's the thing. Women don't think they deserve help. They don't believe they're allowed to invest in help. That is so the ultimate cause of burnout is the world literally being on our shoulders. When we reframe that as how can I reinvest what money I may have in ways that free me up, that help me to go further, that go straight to the expert who really knows about this thing my kid's struggling with. My company wouldn't have grown without bringing on all this talent that is so much better than I am at a variety of things. There's a world of amazing people and experts out there. Let's destigmatize having almost that mindset of, I don't have to do everything on my own. I don't have to be an expert on anything. Let's get more people in here to help. What a joy it has been. We could talk to you all day, man. Thank you so, so much for joining us. In case people have been living under a rock, tell everybody where they can find you. We'd love you to go to mother.ly, which is our website, and sign up for our email newsletter. You can follow Motherly on Instagram, which is at mother.ly. I host the Motherly podcast where we have all kinds of amazing women who also are mothers talk about how motherhood has transformed their lives or empower them at work. We wrote two books. One is a pregnancy guide called The Motherly Guide to Becoming Mama. I know I'm biased, but it really is the most beautiful woman heart-centered guide to motherhood. A book of essays called This is Motherhood. Those are the main places. We'll be more on TikTok as well. And now you can also find me on your show, which is super yeah. fun. So thank you for having me. Hashtag swag bag. Okay, hashtag swag bag. Here we go. Um, I'm going to keep it simple and I'm going to hashtag swag bag good old Puracy stain remover. I think I 
probably have talked about this in another hashtag swag bag, like way, 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 way a million years ago at the beginning of this podcast. Puracy was a company that made my like little baby kids detergent that I got at my baby shower. And they have a killer stain remover that to this day I still use, even though I don't use like specialty for babies laundry detergent. It's better than tied to go pens. Puracy stain spray. I'm telling you, it's like a miracle worker. So I've been using Super Goop, the regular face sunscreen for like over a year now. I really like it. When I went to Hawaii, I was running low, so I wanted to get more. So I bought this little travel size thinking it was the same one. It is not. It is the glow screen. It's SPF 40, broad spectrum sunscreen. It is glowy. And so now, because I have a little bit of a tan from Hawaii, I have been using this as foundation because it's so glowy. All it does is reflect. Reflect the light, yeah. Yeah, you don't see any yucky stuff on my skin. It is so good. I will not go back to the other one. The other one is the Unseen Sunscreen, which feels very silicone-y, which I just got used to. I was fine with it because I know it does a decent job. It's not like I've broken out from it, so really, what the hell do I care? The Glow Screen is not at all silicone-y. It absorbs nicely. You look great. And then I just put a little bit of under eye stuff and do my brows and I feel like it's no makeup but presentable. Yeah. So glow screen. I highly recommend it. I will be buying that large one going forward. All right, guys. Well, as always, thanks so much for listening. We love you. Love you guys. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's our show today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe or follow. We are out here on our own and these things really, really matter. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear. Email us at hello at momtouragepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, all at Momtourage Podcast to hang out with us all week long. We are here for you. You are not alone. We got you. So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you and go slay. Momtourage is a Cafe Mom podcast written and produced by Ashley Herring-Smith and Carrie Sotero. Recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.